0: Douglas. yeah and we're back for more Ringo Swan It's great to have you here with you and you and me and you for Ringo Swan time welcome back everybody <laughs> happy end of the year time happy holiday time Merry Christmas time Hanukkah Kwanzaa all the good vibes It's a pleasure to share them here with you today as we move into chapter 14 of Secrets of Power, Volume 1, written by Ingo Swan. I know why you're here, I know why I'm here too, let's get to it! Power Energies Magnified Vis-a-Vis Those Who Don't Have Power Ingo opens the chapter with, Those who are interested in power exclusively tend to study those who manifest it and devote no attention to those who don't. And he continues by basically making the point, those who are only studying power people exclusively, instead of studying people who don't, seem to have power as well, are missing something There's a flaw there in that thinking. Ingo says, one seldom ever sees power itself. What's actually seen is the result, you know, the outpouring the fruits of power, being produced by someone with whom power is active and manifesting. Now, it is possible to convincingly imitate the results of power, but, in the end, that type of activity is a charade, which others, eventually, can identify as such especially by those who have real power. Hey, wait a minute over there, you. What? Who, me? Yeah, you over there, acting all powerful. Who do you think you are? Uh-huh, <laughs> government. There is, of course, the old axiom of fake it till you make it. And I will have to interject here. He's about to go down a way to just basically be like, yo, don't do that, that's dumb. <laughs> Which, when you look at his argument here, when it pertains to power and individual empowerment, I get it. Totally. Legit. Fake it till you make it, in my experience, helps in the short term, in the moment when you need to face an event with confidence, you might as well fake having confidence than not having confidence. And there's actually a very, uh, really wonderful way to fake having confidence for a very short amount of time, which will then generate real confidence for you. The way to generate real confidence by using fake confidence is by admitting and faking confidently. That, hey, you feel a little underwater. You know what? I'm going to be honest about my situation. I don't feel very confident. Guess what? It takes confidence to say you don't feel confident. So here you are not feeling confident. So you're going to fake a little confidence to say that you don't feel confident. In which case, by doing so, you generate actual confidence. Thereby faking it until you're making it. (laughs) But that's just, you know, for the in the moment need to tap into that human power. We have. He's about to make a point says, yo, you won't even need to do that. And I get why he would say that. As he will show us here now. (laughs) And he does also say, before going into his argument, he does say that in some cases, this procedure of faking it until you make it might be temporarily useful, like what I just described earlier. Before he goes into the breakdown, he wants to make a point Ingo says it is important to realize that many of the most bitter disputes and conflicts regarding power take place among those who are imitating or faking it. Valid power people, Ingo says, comprehend that the frequency and proliferation of power conflicts must be reduced. It's pretty difficult to maintain order and structure when there are power conflicts popping off everywhere. So those who want power and want to maintain it, really have it grow, Don't want conflict, power conflict all the time. Though, and Ingo makes this point, establishing order should not automatically be confused with establishing justice. Good point. Thank you, Ingo. But yes, the ongoing maintenance of active power, Ingo says, can only be achieved in an atmosphere of relative peace and amicable agreements. For it is via agreements that active power can become constituted and maintained. All power structures can be torn apart by internal power games and power strife. And as this book proceeds, Ingo says, it will become more visible why powers can't be faked and that attempts to imitate it are seldom successful. Those who don't have power should be observed. Ingo begins, if one would like to have more power to become empowered or re-empowered, then as a first level of interest, It is not important why others have it. One cannot cure or fix something until one identifies what needs to be cured or fixed. And so, why those who don't have power do not have it becomes interesting. To be precise, Ingo goes on, one must fix and cure the reasons why one does not have power in order to have much hope of really activating it in oneself. As long as those conditions or situations contributing to a lack of activating power remain unidentified, then no amount of trying to imitate the valid or the fake powerful will do much good. I get it, yeah. It's uh, bailing water out of a boat with a hole in it. You gotta plug the hole first. You gotta identify the problem. If those conditions or situations are cured or fixed, then it won't really be necessary to imitate anyone else. And that I get. I get that. Once you've identified the or a core issue to be worked upon, you can actually work on fixing the problem. And in the fixing, no imitation is necessary. Now, imitation as a sense of familiarization, again with a sensation that might not be familiar within yourself, is not a bad practice. It's a way to expand internal awareness. But when it comes to grokking power, why not solve some problems? instead of pretending like you don't have them. (laughs) Ha-ha! Oh, what was that song by MGMT? Faded to Pretend? Yeah. Okay, moving on. The difficulty of seeing one's own lacks regarding not having power. If adequate formal studies regarding power existed, Ingo says, they would include guidelines not only regarding empowerment, but also reasons that result in a lack of it. And self-examination is... Difficult. It's easier to examine others who don't have power and to discover the most apparent reasons why they do not. Now, those who don't have power, commonly referred to as powerless. Those who want more power usually ignore and avoid them, in part because of the cultural idea that the powerless are powerless or nothing they can do about that. There they are. This is not altogether true, because the powerless are a very rich resource in identifying and understanding the reasons why one's self might not have power. Those who don't have power are referred to as the powerless, but this is not true, because in that they are not powerful. They are actually, they're very powerful. The biological and mental human is actually composed of animating power. We are put together and run. With power. Life power. Each human is essentially a born power dynamo. We can't say or think of those who don't have power or perceiving them as not having power as powerless. We can say that they have been depowered in some fashion. They have become dysfunctional regarding extending their animating forces and energies into the environments around them and i would argue we are all or at least quite a bit of us operating on some kind of dysfunctional rail set that is far from optimizing our abilities to express our inborn innate power naingo says so then powerlessness is the result of powers a that have not been activated or nurtured either for environmental or social reasons or b to have been deliberately suppressed for the same reasons. The Admitted Existence of Power Potentials It is generally admitted that individual humans possess potentials regarding powers of all kinds. Back to the 1950s, there were movements set up to consider, study, philosophize those ideas regarding human potentials. The term potential has two meanings with regards to power. The first definition of potential, Uh, the first meaning is given as something, Ingo says, existing in possibility and capable of becoming and actual. Our species likes to make visible and active and perceptible everything that can be thought of. We're cool. We're creators. We put stuff out there. And I think that is very interesting. We are compelled to bring into manifested reality the thoughts that we have. Hey, wouldn't it be cool if, uh, you know, they made a zip line? Hey, you know what I would like? Two pieces of bread with meat in the middle. Gee, what would I call that? Mm, I think that could be tasty. We do this. This is what we do. But it's been deliberately suppressed. We don't discuss that. It's not a thing that human beings go, so what were you thinking about creating today? What were you thinking about creating today? Okay, the second definition of potential. Uh, That is not generally applied to the contents of human powers and potentials in general. The second definition is any of various functions from which the intensity or the velocity at any point in a field may be readily calculated. Now, if you're like me, you're going, Ingo, what? What are you talking about? But Ingo goes on, this definition does bring an energetic element into the first definition of human potentials. If they do not somehow become energized, They cannot become developed into actuality. It is, Ingo goes on, this second definition of potential that has great ramifications with regards to empowerment, energize, and depowerment, de-energize. As it stands in dictionaries, the second definition seems only to be technical, but if we change the phrase, may be readily calculated to, may be readily sensed, then the definition can be more easily applied to human powers. The powerful and the powerless. Certainly, the idea of energy magnified can be associated with the concept of power energized, so much so that power energized can be sensed. And let's go back. I'm going to go back. I'm going to read that chunk again and replace calculated to sensed. Any of various functions from which the intensity or the velocity at any point in a field may be readily sensed. Ooh, I guess that's like walking into the room and feeling the the electric charge uh, that's left over after two people have a heated argument. Or two people come together and, you know, are really seeming to hit it off during that bout of Pictionary. (laughs) Oh, they're good at charades. Have they met before? But that power potential, is it strong enough to be sensed, right? Any various function from which the intensity or velocity at any point in a field may be readily sensed. That's cool. Okay. An observation to attempt. Observe a selection of the powerless and attempt to sense what accounts for their condition and what potentials have been de-energized. I'd say there, there, it's a lot of the uh, power potentials within the mind. The idea that they are not worthy of the inborn innate power in which they carry within themselves, that they are less than. I think that's a lot of us, myself included. It's getting over the self-imposed more often than not or self-allowed mental hillocks and hurdles that really we can just steam over if we want to, once we realize we are worthy and that it is baseline in us all. And that we have a compulsion to express and manifest from our imagination. That is an inborn power. And he goes more into that in the next chapter. Next chapter gets really cool. Let's take a break. Next up, chapter 15, which is titled, You and Your Power. Welcome back to Chapter 15, You and Your Power. I'm Mr. Douglas, this is the BBC. No, it's not, but I'm going to sound like it is just for a moment. Chapter 15, You and Your Power. Ingo begins this chapter. Via the 14 preceding chapters, an attempt has been made to sketch out some of the aspects that constitute the bigger picture of power and empowerment. There are two principal purposes for having done so. First is to give some idea of what the individual is up against. In this sense, it is not all that unreal to establish the most societal power systems that are in some full part rigged against empowerment and rigged for depowerment. The double rigging makes it very difficult to achieve very much empowerment except via self discovered loopholes in the rigging by cunning and stealth sufficient to outwit empowerment preventatives. We'll be right back after these messages on the Not BBC BBC. The Uselessness of Sweetness and Light Empowerment Recipes This was a little bit of a cold slap in the face for me, but it's, uh, it's good to recognize and hold an ever more better understanding of what's actually going on. And for better or worse, it ain't all sunshine and rainbows, everybody. We must face our empowerment realities. Ingo begins, most books dealing with empowerment focus on the individual. And usually exclusively so, it's these the power within you type of book. And you know, the message ain't bad, it's just not complete. There are two central themes in these books that that, uh, they share. The first is that if individuals can awaken the powers within them, hey, there's smooth sailing ahead. Get ready. There's no real need to inform the individual of societal empowerment preventatives that they will soon be encountered with, in spite of, and uh, I would argue, because of their attempt at awakening. You know, you heighten your awareness, you expand your awareness, especially when it comes to awakening, you're going to awaken the fact that the world is not at all the way it has been presented to us. The second theme has to do with making the individual feel good, important, and bigger than whatever might inhibit their awakening. So there's no real need to elaborate upon the social conditioning inhibitors that are already there waiting for you, in fact, probably already in place within you. I did make a note, though, that on the road to awakening, the idea that you can feel better than the feeling that you are feeling that could be attributed to depowerment, I think is a great realization. It's a stepping stone on the journey to a greater self, a more actualized actual you, feeling that you are worthy, that you are better, greater, much more powerful than any powerment tactics tacked on to you. But uh, these feel-good themes, you know, they, uh, they tend to put you in a cul-de-sac, and breaking it down to identify the smallest power unit in any society, in any structure, the individual is the smallest power unit in any societal power schemata, Ingo says. To establish this has been the second reason for presenting those chapters before that we have discussed. To begin to discuss power and depowerment at the individual level, if the fuller panorama of societal powers is considered, uh, there is nothing to suggest that sweetness and light expectations and sugar coated cliches can be workable in the open field of power machinations. The field is Thickly populated with lean, mean, fighting machines. So chapter 15 begins the discussion of the individual versus the societal panorama of power. The life force equals power and empowerment. If you are among those who feel they have little or no power, you can be assured with quite some certainty that you do have implicit power. Individuals of our species are basically comprised of a life force or life energy. And where there is life energy, there is power. Okay, I'm going to try David Attenborough now. Moving on, David Attenborough style. That this is so is not a mere sugar-coated palliative. It is a logical extension of the notable fact that whatever else our species consists of, it is a power species. That something may have happened to prevent your powers, but they are still innately there, awaiting a renewed activation. Next up on planet Earth. Ingo goes on, if you are among the living, you do have powers. Life does not exist unless it is both an expression and a function of the power that makes for life in the first place. Life itself is power, is maintained by power, is enhanced and expanded by power. The considerations Mentioned before, do not represent merely some philosophical, metaphysical, or let's feel good sermonizing. They represent facts. Facts. Most pay no attention to facts which have become belittled, avoided, marginalized. Facts which today are thought and taught as being insignificant in the greater vista of what is thought to be power and what is thought to be life as well. Now we're getting into the goodies. You know, this is that surprise brownie that actually has, like, fud ribbons in it, but you couldn't see it because it's all the brownie color, and you're like, ooh, ooh, you know what I mean? A basic idea of power. A little over 300 years ago, Ingo introduces us to the tremendously influential English empiricist and philosophical philosopher, the political philosopher, John Locke, who lived from 1632 to 1704, published an essay concerning human understanding, and Ingo gives us a quote. From this essay, quote, Power is another of those simple ideas which we receive from sensation and reflection, from observing within ourselves that we do and can think, and that we can, at pleasure, move several parts of our bodies which are at rest, the effects also that natural bodies are able to produce in one another, occurring every moment to our senses. We, both these ways, get the idea of power. Locke's statement is uh, one of the very few of the most fundamental statements regarding basic powers. When you move your legs, when you move your arms, when you blink in your eyelids, it takes power to do that. When you think something, when you experience a sensation or recall the smell of peanut butter, mmm. On toast, mmm, with a little honey and cinnamon if you're going nuts. Ooh, that takes power to do that. And so what he was also saying, between the lines, is that it takes biokinetic and mental kinetic energy to produce motion of any kind, thought motion as well as physical motion. The source of energy motion is power of some kind. Another way to look at it is if, if you imagine yourself as dead, now try to move yourself. Well, not going to work so well if you're imagining correctly, you would be energyless or powerless. So basically, humans, we grasp, we grok the idea that we are power entities or, or mechanisms, energy driven with an inherent life force which has endowed us with the processes of life, breath, physical prowess, mental activity. Procreation, hey, that's some power. Alas, we now live in the modern era. Which brings us to the next topic, the loss of the life force idea. One of the contemporary problems that we are living throughout right now is that we've lost touch. Not only with the idea and meaning of the indwelling life force, which powers us and our bio-mind systems, but, and I think this is very important, we've also lost touch with concepts with which to draw our attention towards this. And when I read this, I thought to myself, oh gee, you know, what other life experiences, and really it just applies to all life, but consider the sommelier. the uh, uh, wine special person that rolls around is like, oh, you're having the fish. Well, let's, I, I would recommend this uh, Chardonnay with a, with a very nice buttery flavor they go with your salmon. Those sommeliers make it a point to taste wine in such a heightened state of mental acuity and focus that they're able to pick out all of the subtle notes that the wine itself is able to express and pair with food and other, I don't know, events, I guess you could say. This wine tastes great with the air up at the top of the mountain, and this wine is good with the air over here in the field. Field air wine brought to you by Doug. Uh, (laughs) But the idea of purposefully exposing and expanding your awareness of something makes that something more prevalent in your experience you're going to be more aware of it just by giving it more attention. And here we are talking about the very force that embodies us and is that base level of innate power that we are. And we are avoiding or suppressing or just not paying attention to concepts, ideas, experiences that would draw our attention to it. I think that's important. We should all strive to become sommeliers of the life force. Mm, that life force is quite tasty with that field wine. (laughs) But when we walk, we talk, when we excrete, Ingo says, when we think and express, we have all these sensations, all these times. Somewhere within each of us dwells the inherent life force power, which is making those functions possible as powers. And since we have no notion, no idea of our own indwelling life powers, we try to emulate what we perceive to be power factors outside of us. Oh, that looks powerful. I'm going to do that now. If one studies history, what past cultures thought about power? They thought that there was a life force, and that was always considered the fundamental source of all human power. The living biological body was considered the container, the vehicle of the power of life force, which was why life of any kind was considered sacred. The only exception were, of course, the power-life vehicles which were enemies. Ah! And those life-forms which, you know, needed to be eaten in order to maintain and continue on the mechanism of our human power-energy vehicle that it might survive and thrive. You know, let me just stating facts, right? I get it. Totally. Yes. Two optional and conflicting basic ideas about power. So, and I like this, here we go, some things to consider before we consider some things. Do you have the following two ideas? Ingo presents a little bit of a thought experiment to us. Do you consider that power pre-exists within you? That there is a power blueprint, a power pattern pre-coded within you? Or do you have the following idea? Do you consider that power exists in phenomena and activities outside of you? And that you got to get into them and participate in them and perhaps take them over in order to graft that power to yourself? Consider them both. They're both actually pretty feasible. But between them, there's a glimmering that can result in a power recovery, a power enhancement, a re empowerment, or the blossoming of your power. Whatever you want to call it. Because, and this is important, Ingo says real power has no names, no descriptors, except for what you want to call it. You'd call it Power X if you want to. Whatever you might like to call it, it is in you, and your power. Name it what you want, and it has been named countless different names: orgone, life force, prana, ether, psychic juice, magic, the spirit. It's everywhere. To help get the idea a little better, and this here we go, little experiment. Wherever you are, as long as you're not driving, don't do this while you're driving, but try this at some point. Maybe with chill chilling, with a glass of your field wine. To help get the idea a little better, Ingo says, slowly lift your hand and arm up and down. Do this several times and increase your focus on the kinetic motion it takes to do so. Don't focus on the fact that you can do it. We can do it. We take that for granted. Yeah, we're dumb. But instead, focus on the fact that it takes some kind of activating power to do it. Focus on the power behind the motion the power that makes the motion, possible. Where does this kinetic power come from? Now, pretend your bio-mind body is dead and see if you can easily lift your hand and arm. Right? We did this before. If you're doing it right and you're pretending like you're dead accurately, you can't. Dead is different than undead. Don't argue with me, zombies. I get what you're saying. I understand it. That's a finer point. Dracula, it's not daytime. I mean, it's daytime, so, right, there are limitations on what you can do over there, undead people. Try to get the idea that energy is directed power of some kind. You may see that it takes directed energy to lift and lower your hand and arm. One can be very familiar with directed energy, but one should become just as familiar with the power in us, which can be directed. Into any energy we want. And here are is a, is a triple star I notified myself on first time I read it. And you might want to remember, Ingo says, something many forget all too often. All power things begin small, grow, and get larger. Hardly any power manifestation begins as big things. The beginning of an individual's power starts with the frank admission that one does have it somewhere within. Power should not be considered as potentially existing, because it is actual. And we just have a little bit more to go here, but this the end of this chapter, I, I think, is worth just reading here. So, Ingo wraps us up. The powers of individuals may be blocked, hampered, confused, ineffective, defeated, distorted, mind programmed into depowerment conditions. The powers may have been educated to non-effective levels, adulterated, intimidated, willingly or unwillingly suppressed by yourself or by others, polluted with anti-power considerations. But the powers exist. Even so, one's sense of power may even be intellectually or emotionally confused. Or it may simply be that others don't want you to manifest your power and have taken active preventative measures to prevent its consolidation within you. It is far more likely that most are merely miseducated or misexperienced regarding not only their power but power in the circumstances and the world around them. A personal anecdote from Ingo Many years ago, when I was in college, I had to study German which back then was thought of as one of the three scientific languages. I had decided to major in biology, and so as an English speaker. I had to minor in either French or German. My German teacher was a certain Frau, Dr. May Mabel Schwender, the youngest child, having twelve brothers before her. She was powerful, a wizard, and the most direct and aggressive ball-breaker I've ever encountered down until today. After some harrowing experiences with her, I made the mistake of saying that I felt powerless, at least with special reference to her ball-breaking presence. Oh, bosh, she sneered. You Americans wail and pamper yourselves too much. No one will give you power. Take a paper and pencil and list ten of the times during your miserable life you did feel powerful. As you remember and write down each item, Beside it, make a note of what happened, because you were powerful at that time. When you have finished the list, study it well, several times, and then you dare come here again and say you are powerless. I was, by then, almost in tears. I made as if to say something, but the Frau Doctor waved her hand, in German, no, or enough of that shit. So, I had to make that list. Yes, I could remember ten times in my youth that I'd felt relatively powerful and I could remember that the precious feeling was sunk, not by myself, but because of others, or because of some kind of situation, which was inimicable to me having my powers. Since then, possibly because of the shock value of the Frau Doctor's Challenge, I have never once felt powerless. I have felt confused about power and all its many complexities, but never powerless. There were to be many occasions in which I did not have power relative to others and to other situations, but powerless. Nine, nine, nine. And since then, among other reasons to perpetually adore her, I have been eternally grateful to that Frau Dr. Ballbreaker. You see, she didn't recommend reading a book on empowerment. She made me consult myself. Your Life Force or life energy power loves to have you remember that it is there. When you forget it and become out of touch with it, various kinds of depowerment can proceed accordingly. An exercise to consider. Make your own list of ten times you felt powerful, including what happened because of them. Mm, mm, mm. Thank you very much for enjoying that meal of a chapter, especially the end there of that chocolate mousse send-off from Ingo with that personal anecdote. Tasty and satiating. Remember, your life energy power loves to have you remember that it is there. Remember it, recognize it, celebrate it when you feel it, and expand your awareness to it Let us all become sommeliers of the force, of the life energy force that is baseline within us all. And what a world it will be when we're all just a little bit more aware of the power within each other and ourselves. Woo, happy holiday time. Hey, it's wonderful to have you here. Thanks for hanging. More power to you.